0: Everybody and welcome to Comics and Cinema. I'm your host Alex Klein, and today we are traveling to the Monster Verse. That's right, it's, we made it. Uh, and it, not being a little late, but obviously this movie came out on the 31st. We're talking about Godzilla versus Kong, the long-awaited. Uh, I, I'd say it's the uh, the cherry on top of the Monster Verse that we've gotten so far. Uh, with so much to talk about in this episode. We're going to dive right in. Uh, In light of a full breakdown of this movie, which I do not want to do only because uh, the movie is incredibly straightforward in most aspects. I'm sure, you know, surprise to no one, uh, you've got parts of the story that are monster related and you have parts of the story that are are the human is the human story and we all know what we're coming to this movie to see (laughs) certainly i mean if you're coming to this movie uh saying look i can't wait to see what my favorite humans are up to Uh, you might want to check and make sure that you're thinking about the right movie. Uh, But surprisingly, I I personally thought the human elements of this were much better than the predecessors, the the preceding Godzilla movies at least. Uh, So instead of doing a play-by-play, what I'm going to do, I'm going to talk about all of the things that I loved about this movie, and I'm going to talk about some of the things that I wasn't a huge fan of either. I'm going to compare it to uh, the other Godzilla movies I did, get to watch it a second time, and so I have a, I have, it's in the perfect spot, I think, in my opinion, and then I also wanted to dive into all of the characters in here, because I think the one thing people do forget about is there are a lot of great characters, and, uh, there are a lot of secret Marvel connections in this movie, whether you knew about them or not, I'm going to try and call out as many of them as I can, I sort of called some out on the, uh, last episode, but, Uh, It was nice to see them here again. So before we get started, I will be talking spoilers about this movie. Uh, Like I said, I'm not going to do a play-by-play of the film, but I am going to talk about some of the bigger moments. So if you don't want to be spoiled, if you haven't seen it yet, the movie is on HBO Max, so feel free to go on there and check it out. It only clocks in at an hour and 53 minutes long. This is actually the shortest of the movies in the new MonsterVerse. Uh, but it does not feel that way. I mean, the movie is sort of has a breakneck pace, I would say, but it, uh, it it's good. I, I don't I don't think it's too long. I don't think it's too short. I think it's just right. Uh, honestly, you know, maybe it is even just a tad bit long. There's probably a couple bits of human uh, interactions that could have been removed from it, but we got what we got, and I think it was great. So, uh, again, spoilers. Press pause, come back. Otherwise, let's get started. So, Godzilla versus Kong. Uh, Just off the bat, uh, if I hadn't mentioned it before, this movie is, uh, I believe it's 59 years to the, I don't know if it's to the day, but 59 years ago, uh, King Kong versus Godzilla came out, and that was, if you guys remember, one of the first movies uh, in my rewatch for March that I did, and it was one of my least favorite of them. There's a lot of questionable scenes in it, uh, a lot of really poor misrepresentation. Of uh, or, or poor representation of Islanders, uh, we talked all about that. And um, King Kong was—I—I I wasn't a fan of King Kong. Godzilla was pushing the boundaries for me, just because uh, you, you know me. Like I said, I loved the original King Kong or the, the original Godzilla and the way that they made him in this was more comedic and it almost felt like and they talk about it in some of the special features that in in king kong versus godzilla it felt a lot like the big boxing match is kind of how they did it like they were basically boxing each other this movie is the exact opposite of all of that in so many great ways so i would say off the bat when you're looking at this movie as a remake of King Kong versus Godzilla, and I and I'm calling it out because this one's Godzilla versus Kong, so they actually flip flopped the names, took the King out because we don't know who's the King. Uh but interestingly enough, I will argue by the end of this movie, I think I think there's a there's an interesting conversation to be had by the end of this movie. But that's what we get, and and for that reason alone, I loved this movie. I absolutely adore this movie, and watching it a second time, I confirmed that, and sp- surprisingly, not only because of how much I love both of these monsters and, of course, the surprise third monster but because of the humans in this movie, which I did not think would happen. I certainly wasn't starting and, and watching this movie to fall in love with uh, you know a, a little handful of people, specifically one uh, person, but it, it was like magic on the screen. So uh, the movie is directed by Adam Wingard, who is uh, prior directing credits for the movie VHS. Uh, he didn't direct the whole movie, obviously. If you guys haven't seen the VHS movies, uh, they are uh, there's phases of the movie. so there's like five different stories within the movie. He directed one of those, uh, tape 56. He also directed a segment in another really great scary movie anthology called uh, the ABCs of Death. He did the segment Q is for Quack. And then he also did VHS2 for Phase one clinical trials, which I'm and I haven't seen those movies in a while, but if I'm remembering that one, that one was messed up. But he did the guest, so he's done a lot of scarier films. He did Your Next, he did Blair Witch, the remake, and then he also directed. Interestingly enough, he directed Death Note, which I believe when they're showing that in here, that is the live action Death Note. Yep, by Netflix. Uh, I was buzzing through the cast and crew on this movie, trying to find connections. Like I said, like I, I had a, I've always had a strong feeling that these Godzilla movies are connected to the marvel universe and not obviously not in the same universe though as i was watching it i was like it would actually be really cool to see the avengers fight godzilla or to see them fight king kong but uh at the same time i don't think i would want to see them do it because somebody like thor Or Captain Marvel, they may actually hurt Godzilla or King Kong, and I don't want that to happen. I I love those guys, but maybe even them teaming up, that would be insanely badass. Uh, But no, so I'm talking about more from that production aspect. There's a lot of connections to the MCU. Um, Like I said, I've got them saved here and we'll talk about it, but they're here. And so we're getting the other connections. And so he directed Death Note, but uh, there's a pro- one of the producers I was clicking on also was a production designer, or the person who did production design for the film, uh, also did it for Death Note. So I, I I just find it interesting. I think if you do enough, um, as one of the characters in this movie would say, if you if you pull on the strings of the conspiracy sweater, uh, you'll start seeing. I think that there's a lot of movies, especially these bigger tentpole movies, where there's a there's a squad i guess you could say of people who you know okay and and adam kind of hinted at this as well in an interview that i was watching he was talking about the future of the godzilla franchise and he said you know the end of this movie there's no after credit scene there's no mid credit scene there's no post credit scene there's nothing and he said you know each of these movies was building up to this one like this was the one so he said if audiences want another movie they need to let them you let Hollywood know that they want it right by going to the movies talking about it supporting it he said we don't want it we didn't want to keep putting more eggs into this basket if it's a basket that people don't want anymore which I thought was really interesting because after Godzilla King of the Monsters uh, I could hear that that people weren't as big of a fan of these movies anymore which was really sad to me because I each movie I started liking them more than more and more obviously Kong Skull Island and even with this film Kong Skull Island is still my favorite of the new movies uh but it's it's by very little and uh and so I like that concept that You know, you you see that and compare that to DC, and I know we always compare these you know films to the DC universe versus the Marvel universe. Marvel's always got their stuff together. DC always seems like they're floundering, and I think that this and surprisingly enough, I mean, this is a a Warner Brothers movie, but at the same time, this was a movie that was also made by uh, I believe it was made by Lionsgate. So it's not exactly a Warner Brothers movie, it's more of Lionsgate made this movie, and Warner Brothers uh, purchased the movie, or Legendary Entertainment, I always think it's Lionsgate, but no, Legendary Entertainment, which, uh, which is interesting, I'm looking here, Legendary Entertainment, I just clicked on them on IMDb, and here are the movies that they've got sorted by popularity, uh, actually, I'm going to do sorted by year, we're going to do it that way, this is interesting, because I think I think this is something that people don't talk about a lot, but I really like diving into these, the, the Hollywood connection, if you will, so Legendary Entertainment, it looks like it was involved in Batman Begins, Superman Returns, 300, uh, The Ant Bully, Lady in the Water, Beer Fest, Trick-or-Treat, Keep in mind, trick or treat. Remember, we talked about that. That movie was directed by the director of King of the Monsters, Uh, Ten Thousand BC. That's another big monster movie. Dark Knight, Watchmen, The Hangover, Uh, and I'm I'm skipping a few here, but you got like Ninja Assassin, Observe and Report, The Watchmen, um, you know, uh, like uh, Tales of the Black Freighter, that sort of stuff. The Town, Uh, Due Date, Inception. Uh, So, obviously, uh, Legendary is heavily involved with Christopher Nolan. Uh, You got Man of Steel on here, Jack the Giant Slayer, Interstellar, and then you get Dracula Untold, and then you jump into. You got Godzilla, the second 300 movie, uh, as above, so below. I'm just trying to see if I can see any connections in here. Wow, they got 142. Uh, Jurassic World. They did the Jurassic World movie straight out of Compton. Steve Jobs, uh, Crimson Peak, Krampus. Krampus is also by the guy who directed, um, uh, it's Michael Doherty, I believe. Yeah, the guy who directed um, uh, King of the Monsters. And then you got Kong Skull Island, obviously, and uh, Pacific Rim Skyscraper, which is, and we're going to dive into that too. Again, these are a lot of movies that the people involved in this Black Klansman. Uh Pacific Rim. I said Pacific Rim, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So both of the Pacific Rim movies, I think, as well. And then Dune. That's interesting. But uh, I find that funny because those movies all have a they do all have a general vibe, I would say, but at the same time, uh, they really are utilizing the squad mentality because as I dive into this you're gonna see, oh, and, and we'll do this actually before we dive into the characters. But uh, some other bits and pieces on here. Uh, the music is by Tom Holkenborg. If you don't know who that is, that is Junkie XL. Uh, he is the guy who did the music for uh, the Zack Snyder's Justice League. I believe he did the first Deadpool. And, uh, you know, part of it too, though, and I, I guess what I was getting, I was getting off on the tangent here. But when he was being interviewed, Adam Wingard, the director, he said that he would really like to do another Godzilla movie, or another monster movie. He said he had some ideas. And he said one of his big idea is to not have any people in the movie, or to have it be very minimal people. And I found that to be so exciting because you can clearly see a through line in these Godzilla movies, uh, these most recent ones, where each film has less and less people. There's a very long storyline in the original Godzilla movie. You know, you don't even see really Godzilla until the 40 minute mark of the movie. That whole part is all human. And then you get to uh, Kong Skull Island, you see Kong a lot sooner. Uh, but I and I the reason I like that one the most is because I love the human storyline in that movie. The one in Godzilla was fine. I mean, it, we got to see again Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, but but not, you know, not not the best story, right? Like we want to see Godzilla. And then with King of the Monsters, there was less of a human story but that human story was even worse, or not worse, I I think maybe it was on par with the original Godzilla, there are bits and pieces of that story that I do not like, and I know we talked about that in the last episode, but this movie I feel like has even less human interaction in it, and there are still some moments where the human interaction is not good. And I'm like, come on, just give me the monster. But a lot of it is good, specifically the stuff surrounding King Kong. And so Adam is explaining this in his interview. And he says, he goes, you know, I haven't done a movie like this before. And it, obviously, we have went over his resume. Most of the stuff that he's done has been very small, sort of scary movies. And he said, but now I have all of these skills that I've learned in directing a big monster movie that... Uh, and he actually, I think he said it this way, but he was like, you know, like I'm here or uh, legendary, right? Like I'm here. You just trained me on all of these tools. Like, let me use them again. Like, let's make another movie. So I really liked his outlook on this uh, film franchise of saying like, Hey, we've got more, we've got more ideas in the backlog, but you guys need to tell us what you want to see because they really did address a lot of the issues that I think people had with the prior Godzilla movie. And so I can't even imagine what they're going to do with this next Godzilla movie. So from there, we move into the writers. Uh, And so the story is by Terry Rosio, Michael Doherty, and Zach Shields. Again, that's just the story. That's kind of the same as what, uh, you know, to me, whenever I see that, that is them in the room going like, "Ooh, I got this really great story in my head. Let me tell you, because then we have two people who wrote the actual screenplay. So they're the ones who wrote it down, which is Max Borenstein. Uh, who again, like I said in the last episode, we talked about Godzilla. He uh, was the screenplay for the original Godzilla as well. But there is a second person who did the screenplay, whose name is Eric Pearson. And if you are not familiar with that, that is okay, because I wasn't either. But after I tell you what he has done, you're going to go, oh, okay, all right, Alex, I see where you're going with this. So here's his filmography. He has eight writing credits that's it and we're going to go through all eight because you're going to lose it uh his his eight are marvel one shot the consultant marvel one shot a funny thing happened on the way to thor's hammer marvel one shot item 47 marvel one shot agent carter the agent carter tv series for which he was a executive story editor a writer and uh and a story editor thor ragnarok written by him screenplay for Godzilla vs. Kong and screenplay for Black Widow so <laughs> Godzilla vs. Kong is the only movie that he has worked on that isn't a Marvel movie and then when you look at it on here too he has a script there's a script and continuity department where he has six credits and all of them he's uncredited as a script doctor which I don't know too much about that but I understand that to be the scripts written let's send it off to this guy see if he can do a little bit of touch-ups do a little bit of work give us some advice check this out script doctor for ant-man spider-man homecoming pacific rim uprising avengers infinity war avengers endgame and pokemon detective pikachu so he is what i would call like a pop culture guru right like that is so cool so he uh he like i said that's just another marvel line which i think is awesome and max borenstein again like he uh, he wrote uh kong skull island as well which is pretty cool From there, uh, we got all these actors as well. Uh, I wanted to dive into the cinematography, which was done by uh, Ben Sirison, uh, who also did World War Z, Lara Croft, Tomb Raider, so not a lot of uh, Marvel connection there, Uh, but then we get into the costume designer because there were a couple of parts in this movie where I was like, ooh, I like this costume, specifically with uh, Alexander Skarsgård on the aircraft carrier. He was just wearing this really interesting vest and plaid button-up combo. I don't know if this was what Anne's work was, but for anyone unfamiliar with Anne Foley, she is the costume designer for uh, 11 things, now I'm not going to read you all of them, but I will tell you that she was the costume designer for the mini-series Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Slingshot, she was the costume designer for all of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. show, uh, she was also the costume designer for Altered Carbon and Skyscraper, which is really cool, uh, but then what you may not know either is she is the upcoming costume designer for She-Hulk, the She-Hulk show that comes out uh, in 2022, according to IMDB. So look at that, more Marvel connection, uh, and we it just keeps coming and coming. So uh, with that said, you know, if I hadn't mentioned it before, you knew that I was gonna, Uh, if you had any question about it but the casting for this movie as well was Sarah Finn uh, our favorite casting director of all time uh, for all the work that she has done on every Marvel movie so like I said legendary and I don't know the ins and outs of this this is something this is way above my pay grade and and this is (laughs) the most speculating that I will be doing on this podcast and it's around the connections in Hollywood but why Why that? Like, why are all these Marvel people uh, uh, helping out a warring studio, right? I mean, obviously, when you're making the movie, maybe they had no idea that it was for Warner Brothers. I don't think Marvel is pretentious enough like that to be like, oh, we're not going to work for you. But I just find it interesting. And I think part of that is like what Adam was saying, where he says, you know, I was trained to make this movie right like you know just like any job he got hired to direct he got a hired job and his training for this job is here's how you make a monster movie here's how you make a really good movie about people fighting and uh so once you're done with that though well what do you do next well you want to kind of do things that you know how to do well now and so it makes sense that all these marvel people who have had all these experiences dealing with monsters and and the big three if you will uh, would come work on this movie. But I, I think that enhances the film so much. I'm really grateful that the Marvel people are dipping their toes into other movies as well because uh, we love those Marvel movies so much. We think there's, and by we, I mean me and everyone else here at Comics and Cinema. But I'm just saying it's it's nice to sh- share the love. So, Seraphine, what what did you bring for us today on Godzilla vs. Kong? Well, there are a couple of familiar faces And there are a bunch of new faces. So I'm going to hit on the familiar faces first because, in my opinion, they are my least favorite. But uh, we're going to dive into why. So obviously, Kyle Chandler shows back up as the father of Millie Bobby Bobby Brown. And uh, he's in all of three scenes. He probably has a max of like three minutes of screen time. Uh, playing a worried father that doesn't really go over well. He doesn't really have a a wrangle on his daughter. But, you know, it's been a few years since uh, the events of King of Monsters. He clearly thinks that she can handle herself, I suppose. Uh, But then, yes, we've got Millie Bobby Brown in this movie. I will say I liked her better in this movie than I did in King of Monsters. She looked way more adult, way more professional. She seemed a lot braver, obviously, because she's grown. And, uh, they talk, she talks about that. I guess she had an interview as well. I saw it in the trivia section talking about, you know, this is more of a coming of age movie for her. Uh, she's kind of off on her own now that her mom has passed away and she's sort of the advocate for Godzilla. I don't really see that. She seems like she's more obsessed with finding the conspiracy guy who we're going to get into, but those i think are the only two people in this yeah they're the only two ones in this who are are kind of recurring which was again nice to have a through line uh to connect from the other movie but at the same time i didn't need that we could have had no one from the old movie and i would have been totally fine so we've got two different uh sections of this film so the movie starts out obviously you've got king kong and then you've got godzilla so there is a group of people that are connected to the Godzilla storyline, and then there's a group of people that are connected to the King Kong storyline. Like I said earlier, I thought Kong's group was better, so we're going to start with uh, Godzilla's group. Uh, And Godzilla's story in this movie, so like I said, I'm not going to do a shot-by-shot, I'll just kind of tell you the story of it, which is he uh, is now being branded a bad guy because he came ashore in in Florida, and I think it's in Pensacola, and just started wreaking havoc at this Apex uh, complex, and Apex is this company that clearly is set up to be the bad guys of the movie. You know it very quickly uh, from the very beginning, sort of. And um, and so he's like wrecking shop at this this Apex place while uh, another character, and we'll we'll actually we can just start with him. So that's it's Brian Brian Tyree Henry, who has done such great things as Spider Man into the Spider Verse. If Beale Street Could Talk. Widows, Hotel Artemis. He was in, uh, I believe he was in Atlanta. Uh, Yep. And then he was also in, oh yeah, he was in Joker. That's right. As the Arkham clerk. And he's in, he's in Eternals. So there's your Marvel connection. So he's in the Eternals movie. Uh, I love Brian Tyree Henry. I wasn't a huge fan of his character in this movie, but I was happy that Brian was able to be somebody that he typically isn't, at least the way that I've experienced him in the things that I've seen him with. He's usually very serious. He's usually very paced. He's usually um, very slow to act, you could say, in a very good way. He has a very powerful presence. And so for him to be very crazy in this movie, being a conspiracy theorist, he has his own podcast. I actually laughed pretty hard with that when it started. It reminded me of uh, comics and cinema, so you guys can guess when the, the nuclear holocaust happens. You can tune in here. We'll call it something else like uh, Geiger, the Geiger counter or something. I Who knows? But uh, it just was really funny that, you know, they're, that trope of a guy a sprouting conspiracy theories on a podcast, which is very interesting for the current day because of all the conspiracy theories that are out there. But what was, you know, it's ironic, obviously, because everything that he is talking about is true because he works at this apex plant. And he's seeing these things that can't be explained. And so in this instance, there's this orb, this giant sphere after Godzilla busts up this building that's just sitting there and it's vibrating. It's it's pulsating and making a sound. And it appears as if, at least this, I caught this on my first viewing, so I don't know if I was ahead of the curve because of all of the Godzilla movies that I watched. But when Godzilla attacks this building, and then I saw that orb, the minute I saw that, I didn't catch what the orb was, uh, which we find out later, obviously, is one of Mecha Godzilla's eyes, uh, but I, I, I knew it was Mechagodzilla. That was the moment I knew, was when I saw that, I said, ooh, they are going, they have used this tool, and again, I didn't know it was the eye, but I was like, they've used this sonic emitter to make Godzilla attack them so that they can justify creating Godzilla to protect humanity, which is a tale as old as time, right, of the manufactured crisis in order to further the gains of a questionable company, which uh, worked totally in the, in the guise of this film. Like, obviously, the storyline of that wasn't the most detailed storyline ever, but it made sense for what it was trying to be. And so I was immediately hooked on that. Like I as nice as the people of Apex were pretending to be, I, I immediately saw through them because I was like, God, these guys are clever. Like they're 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 rich, obviously, and so they're trying to protect it. So Brian Tyree the whole time, he plays a sort of uh babysitter, I guess you could say, to Millie Bobby Brown and Millie Bobby Brown's friend, Julian Dennison. Who is uh, in, in this movie, he plays Josh. Uh, Julian Dennison, though, if you guys know, is from Hunt for the Wilder People. Uh, but also, uh, so he's a, he's a frequent worker of Taika Waititi, but also is in Deadpool 2. And he was in, uh, there was another movie that he did. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> The Christmas Chronicles Part 2. So he's still a newer actor. I enjoyed him in this, but at the same time, I felt so bad because I was like, we didn't need to have him in this movie. We didn't need to have Millie Bobby Brown in this movie. We barely needed to have Brian Tyree in this movie. But I, I went through this both times in the mindset of my review of the prior Godzillas, which was we're not here for the humans, we're here for the monsters. So as long as these monster fights are good, I will put up with the human elements. And like I said, I was happily surprised that so many of them hit so uh so close to home for me where I was like, awesome, this is I actually really like this. So uh we get another uh another connection, this time a connection to the John Wick universe. Uh, we've got Lance Reddick in a uh, blink you miss it scene with Kyle Chandler towards the end of the movie. That is the guy that works at the hotel, the Continental. He also is in uh, Tim and Eric skits. And then we get our... And it's in this opening scene where Godzilla is attacking uh, Pensacola that we re- get... Uh, and I hope I'm saying his name right, but it is Damian Bashir who plays the ultimate bad guy, I guess you could say, uh, who is the CEO of Apex, basically the leader of Apex. He's been in Machete Kills, A Better Life, The Hateful Eight. I haven't seen him in a lot of things, but uh, I thought he did a good job. I thought he did a fine job. Oh, he was in The Nun. That's what it was. He was in The Nun as Father Burke. Uh, I The Nun is a very special movie for me, not only because I am deathly terrified of The Nun, uh, but also because that was a movie that I actually used my uh, it was it was the Stubbs pass at the time, but like I was the only one in the Dolby theater watching uh, the Nun, like the weekend that it came out because you know, the movie didn't do that well. But I just remember being like I, I love. The fact that I have this uh, this AMC Stubbs A list that I can see the Nun in Dolby for free. This is crazy. So I just I always loved the Nun movie for that. But uh, interesting too, right? Like the Nun is on HBO Max. All that movie was also a Warner Brothers movie. So these actors, it's like it's almost like the 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 studios have a Rolodex and they're like, ooh, we need a person that does this, this, and this. Here's six people, and Sarah's like, okay, we'll we'll, we'll stick with that. So. Godzilla attacks, and uh, along with him, uh, who is the, again, he's the, you know, whatever, he's the father. I don't even, and it's classic Godzilla syndrome, but you don't even really remember who these characters' names are. Uh, and that's part of the fun, I would say. <laughs> it, uh, who, well, we're going to find out. His name is Walter Simmons, uh, not to be confused with, uh, that sounded like the guy who does the workout videos, but he is with someone named Shun Oguri, who plays uh Rin, Ren Sarazawa and we are not clear at all in this movie who Ren Sarazawa is but he has the same last name as Sarazawa from the first two Godzilla movies so is he Sarazawa's son is he uh you know we it's they never really explain that and i it doesn't matter in the movie like there's no secret like oh surprise you know i'm avenging my father's death there there's nothing about it and he eventually dies Due to uh, he gets killed by King Ghidorah, but I thought it was cool. I thought he did a good job. I love when he goes over Godzilla at one point and is talking. They're talking with uh, um, uh, Alexander Skarsgård, but he's been in uh, besides Godzilla versus Kong. I think they were saying. I think I saw something that that was his first American-made movie. Uh, but he was in Weathering with You, which I have, but I haven't seen yet, and then a bunch of other uh, productions as well. I thought he did fine. I mean, he's the same thing. He only had, I don't know, a couple of minutes of time, but he had a great. He did a great job uh, showing what it, what it would be like to be connected to Mecha Godzilla as you plug in the helmet. And so, for those of you that are listening to this, not planning to watch the movie and wanting to hear all about this, I'll briefly tell you that you know Mech Godzilla again created by Apex, and it is remote piloted through brainwave activity by somebody wearing a helmet. The exact same, way. and my brother pointed this out. Of course, he did that. Um, this is just like Pacific Rim. And uh, I would argue it's a little bit different than Pacific Rim, but those, uh, those uh, similarities are there, though, because Legendary also made the Pacific Rim movies. Uh, but it is. It's, you know, he puts on the helmet. He can now control this giant kaiju. And we find out, though, as it goes on, or at least Brian, Tyree, Henry, and Millie, and, um, and uh, Julian find out that they used the skull of King Ghidorah and if you remember, that is in the post-credit scene of King of Monsters. They are using the dormant brain activity of the skull. So apparent, and they go through it, it. It's if you watch this movie as a sci-fi movie, it makes it so much better. As a sci-fi fantasy, uh, it really does. All of these things, you're like, oh yeah, that makes total sense. It's like uh, you know, the skull is connected to like all of the the Titans. Are connected to this power source that is in the hollow earth and we'll be diving into the hollow earth in a second because that's one of my favorite parts of this movie but uh the skull is powering the mech and so eventually and so every time he powers up there's a scene where he blows up this skull uh smasher or whatever they're called the skull diggers um and uh, when he blows it up, like he he blows this thing up, it's really powerful scene. And his character, he's got his eyes are literally rolling in the back of his head, and he looks like he's kind of getting electrocuted in a good way, uh, in this chair. And you're just like, wow, that must feel really good, man. I'll have what he's having. But then obviously towards the end of the movie, when the mech becomes the mech becomes its own sentient creature, because you know no human can stop Ghidorah, right? So this is a Ghidorah powered mecha godzilla and it basically does electrocute this guy and kill him so he only has like four or five scenes but we also get another i wouldn't call it blink and you miss it i would almost call it close your eyes so you don't have to see it uh a character uh from eliza gonzalez who is from the uh you know it's funny i said she's from the fast and the furious movies and I don't think she is. And I'm looking at it here. I always thought she was. But it's because she's from Fast and the Furious, Hobbs and Shaw. She is from Baby Driver. She's also in Alita Battle Angel. So she knows her stuff. And I, I like her. I, I've i enjoyed her in all of those movies. It's just that the material that she is given to say, there's specifically a scene where she is uh, arrives on the boat that Kong is on, and she is the daughter of Walter Simmons. And she's like, I'm just the babysitter. Like, I'm just making sure my father's stuff is going well. And again, we'll, we'll dive into those things here in a second. But she's got these lines where she's bragging about something. And she stops, turns around, looks at Scarzard and says, feel free to be impressed. And then turns away and walks over. And I was like, ma'am, I am not impressed. I think you need to stop. And she does have a really funny... Albeit terrible, line at one point where she says, and this to me would be probably one of the most memeable lines of the movie, which is dump the monkey. Uh, I thought was hilarious, but also I was like, absolutely not. We are not going to be dumping the monkey, Eliza. Uh, So I, again, thought she was fine. I thought she honestly hurt the movie in that regard, but it wasn't her fault. It's just the lines that she had to deliver. So uh, we've gotten through all of them. We are now going to dive into my favorite part of this. So So the Godzilla piece of it, like I said, is Godzilla is attacking. People think he's attacking unprovoked. We know a little more than that. Brian Tyree Henry knows a little bit more than that. And they're investigating it. And that is that part of the movie is figuring out what is going on. They find some manifests that are to take them to Hong Kong. He's like, you know, why are we doing business in Hong Kong? This doesn't make sense. Turns out by the time they arrive in Hong Kong, they they sneak onto a transport ship that's going to Hong Kong. On this transport ship are a uh, and it's skull crawlers. There are a bunch of tiny skull crawlers, and I rolled my eyes at this scene because I was like, "I swear to God, if this movie just turns into a skull crawler movie, I'll, I'll just go watch Kong Skull Island. Like I'm not here for this." And so, what actually it is is that is food or test subjects for Mecha Godzilla. So they get to Hong Kong. They're in this giant arena where the Mecha is, and so th- they are essentially those characters are are the audience's way of figuring out Mechagodzilla. So that's the secondary story. And by the end of it, they are also the people that help beat Mechagodzilla, or at least help Kong and Godzilla beat Mechagodzilla. So in a way, they did have an important part to play, but you could have cut their lines down to one or two things, and you would have still been fine. So with that in mind... Uh, we get the much more interesting storyline, which is around Kong. And I I want to say, I mentioned this, I think, in the other podcasts, but I am Team Godzilla. I most likely will always be Team Godzilla, uh, just because I love him, I love dinosaurs, I love love him. Uh, But after this movie, I kind of want to be Team Kong too. And if you guys are okay with it, I would appreciate it, because I think... One of and I thought it was a joke at first, but it's actually super serious. Someone had asked me, or someone had made some post and said, uh, "said you know, oh, are you Team Kong or are you Team Godzilla? Who do you think will win?" And my response was the audience. And I, I think in 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 who wins between Kong versus Godzilla, it's us guys. It's us. So I think the, and they make this movie in such a way that. There are moments where you are Team Godzilla, and you're like, "Oh my God, the sheer power of Godzilla." But then there are other moments where you're like, "Oh man, come on, no, it's Kong all the way." So I think at the end of the day, the true winner is the audience, specifically the audience who doesn't choose that maybe picks both sides, sort of thing. So, uh, so we start out, you know, again, this is uh, I think it's 50 years since the events of Kong Skull Island. And we have gotten to a point where, if you remember from Kong Skull Island, uh, John C. Riley's character says that Kong is still growing. So it's been like 50 years since that. So what was it like? It was like 1970 till now. So he has grown quite a bit. In the trivia, he is about 30 feet shorter than uh, than, Kong, than Godzilla. Uh, and I'll find you those exact numbers here. Yep, so <clears throat> Legendary Studios revealed the official heights Uh, back on the 11th and Godzilla stands at 390 feet or 120 meters and Kong is 336 feet or 102 meters so he's a little bit smaller than Godzilla but that does not mean that he can't fend for himself and so this movie opens up with him in a containment cell that is the size of Skull Island basically monarch the the organization that studies these creatures they have him in a sort of Jurassic Park type containment field on Skull Island and the movie opens up so great you know the and i, I touched on it a little bit before Junkie XL just or Tom Hulkenberg, as he's clearly wanting to be called in this movie kills it there are multiple scenes and i saw in the trivia where he he actually kind of petitioned himself to do this movie he told adam that uh he's always been a huge godzilla fan he's loved all the godzilla movies and he had actually created some godzilla songs uh in his free time like score type songs and so uh, clearly he's going to get the job, right? And so he said the best way to do this would be to use the most insane bass that you could, the most deep bass, and you can hear that. I think there are specific moments, especially during the transport of Kong to Antarctica, where you can hear just how terrorizing Godzilla's themes are. It's just crazy but then on top of that the song choices that they use in this movie i thought were perfect a lot of a lot of it reminded me of kong skull island of the kind of great song choices they did and it also in in the best way took things away from uh from Zack snyder's justice league and i say that because uh actually and it's funny too that's from um from Falcon and the Winter Soldier, if any of you have watched this third episode, and I won't be talking, I'm not going to spoil it at all, but there is a scene in there where, uh, the characters are walking into this bar and it's a slow-mo scene with a awesome song playing. And all I could think of was, wow, you know, the slow-mo scenes we got in Snyder's Justice League, uh, were fine but then you put the really bad music that he choices that he picked on top of that it just was i it made me smile in this movie i was like awesome some these people get it like they get what a good the best time to play a certain song is and so the whole story being uh you have a a new character rebecca hall played by rebecca hall and for those of you unfamiliar (laughs) here we go she was in the town which was another legendary movie uh and but she was also in the awakening which if any of you haven't seen that that was a very scary movie she's in the prestige which is another christopher nolan movie and then she's in vicky christina barcelona those are the known for she's in a lot of other things as well she was in holmes and watson which is one of my least favorite movies ever she was in the bfg oh she was in the dinner uh, the gift she was also in the gift and for, uh, you know, And I missed it on this part, but she was in Iron Man 3 as Maya Hansen, so she's also been in a Marvel movie. Uh, but Rebecca Hall plays this sort of scientist who is the spiritual successor of the uh, Kong universe, I guess you could say. Because you think about it, it's been 50 years, they don't mention any of the characters from the original Skull Island movie, though you do get to hear some voiceovers during the, the opening credits of John Goodman, which I thought was great. Uh, but so she's kind of there, tracking Kong, watching him. But she has, and and we're we're uh, we're getting to it. And I, it's funny. I was going to save the best for last because we haven't really talked about. Uh, actually, we're going to just jump right into it real quick. Alexander Skarsgard's character. Uh, and for those of you who aren't familiar with him, he's done some HBO work. He was on True Blood, Big Little Lies, but he also was in The Legend of Tarzan. And uh, there was another movie that I thought I'm trying to think. He's done kind of done some. Uh, I think Legend of Tarzan was his big his big get-out movie sort of thing, but he was also in Battleship, Straw Dogs. Uh, I think he liked his TV shows more so than that. So, you know, good for him for getting out there. I, I love a good Skarsgård. He plays a, I wouldn't call him a washed-up scientist, but he is a self-washed-up scientist that wrote a book and has been studying the Hollow Earth, and the hollow earth concept is something that I, I had known about before. Uh, I'm always checking out those really cool sort of theories out there that are, you know, and it makes total sense. I talked about it in the other Godzilla episode. So I was really excited to see how they dove into this. And uh, I thought he did a good job. He plays a, I, I don't know what the term would be because he's not a good guy. I mean, he is a good guy, but he is manipulated by the bad guys and uh but everything works out that's one of my favorite parts of this movie is that everything ends up working out the way exactly the way that it should whereas in in any other movie there would have been a uh, a reckoning of sorts right i've talked about this on many episodes i am very against the three movie the three arc structure of a movie specifically one that surrounds relationships that crumble and then are rebuilt so what I'm talking about is you have a story like this where Kong, uh, and, and I, I guess we'll dive a little deeper into the story in a second, but basically at some point in the movie, whatever movie that is, a romantic comedy, an action movie, you know what I'm talking about. There is a moment of betrayal where a character says that their intentions were this, and we find out, or the people in the movie find out that they were lying, right? That they, they were saying that just so that they could get helped or they were lying so that they could be liked Whatever it is, like I said, you see it in so many romantic comedies where the the guy or the girl says or does something, and the other person's like, "I can't be with you anymore." And that's you can you know press pause on the movie, and you're probably two thirds to three fourths of the way through the movie at that point. It's it's like clockwork, and then they make up by the end of it. You get your emotions rattled, and then you're good. So I the way that he is presented in this movie, he is the person that does that. He is the one that is constantly pushing this envelope with Kong to lie to Kong, but all the lies that he's telling end up actually being true. And it's not because he was lying because he was a bad person, it's just cuz he, you know, they don't know a lot about the Hollow Earth besides what he's researched. So, I thought he was great. I really liked that about him. He doesn't get, you know, he doesn't steal the show by any means. But I still thought he was really good, and so I say that because we got to talk about my favorite character in this movie, and that is Kaylee Hoddle. Uh, she plays Gia in this movie, and that is all that she's done. She is a new actor, and uh, she's deaf, and I think that it makes that almost my favorite part of this movie. So she is, and as I was looking through here, her whole family is is uh, deaf. And so she, oh uh, well, yeah, so it says she comes from an all-deaf family spanning four generations of deaf relatives on her father's side, which uh, alone is super, super cool. But she plays a island native from Skull Island. So if you remember, we had the natives from the Skull Island movie. She plays an island native that, at this point, no doubt is, you know, the great granddaughter of the character the the old you know islanders that are in the skull island movie because it's been 50 years past but rebecca hall shares a story that um her family was killed uh at one point during you know time on skull island sort of thing and she's basically adopted her and as a sort of her daughter and i love the relationship that the two of them have we get some great conversations through sign language which is amazing uh, and, and the, the relationship that they have I think is really special because she's a really young kid but uh, Rebecca Hall treats her like a person and I, I, I specifically say that because you could easily say that she treats her like an adult and that some of the things that she does in this movie a parent probably shouldn't let their kid do but I truly believe it's because she's treating her more like a person than like a kid uh, and I like that and part of that is because she has a special connection with Kong And we find out as the movie goes on that she's actually been talking to Kong. Both They they almost have a telepathic link, but they also speak through sign language. And what a powerful scene that was when um, they're on the boat. And Kong shares his first words of home with her and Rebecca Hall. And Rebecca, again, like Rebecca says later on, she's like talking with Gia and says, you know, why didn't you tell me? that he could speak sign language and she says he didn't want me to tell and she says well now everybody knows because it had you know the whole boat saw it and so just again these like i just she was my favorite character in the entire movie i could have just watched i you could have gotten rid of the whole brian tyree henry storyline with his group uh or maybe had him you know get rid of some of their story and give more to her to gia because just the, the scenes that she has cinematically were just gorgeous. Perfect, they're posters and screensavers. Every single moment that she's on screen, but not only that, she's also able to detect that Godzilla is coming because, again, you know her senses. All of her senses except her hearing are heightened, and so in a way, as you're watching this, especially on that boat trip, it seems like she's a superhero, and I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world, and it it, it really speaks not just to uh, Legendary and the creator's willingness to take a risk in having a character like that on screen, but it also shows you just how powerful diversity can be on screen as well. I did not come into this movie going, oh, it would be really great if, uh, you know, a person with disabilities uh, could, you know, was in this movie, like that would, you know, totally enhance this film. Wasn't thinking that at all, just because, again, hadn't been in any of the other movies. But the minute that she's on the screen, the first scene that we get with her, she walks up, Kong is on this on on Skull Island, and the sound kind of rumbles and then disappears. And so you're immediately like, oh, she's deaf. And it's, it's this, it's not used as a look at what we're doing, like, oh, look at this, we have, we have a, a, you know, a person who is deaf on our screen, we have this little kid who's deaf, look at us, this is great, it's like, no, 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 that is her power, that is her superpower, and here's how it kind of activates, like, it the way that they did it does, I, I think does so much justice to her, and also to, you know, anyone who's struggling with a disability like that, of, of, realizing that, you know, yeah, at times it can be a setback, but look at all of the other amazing things that come from that. And and I would even recommend at this point, if you you finish watching this movie and say, oh, what's another great movie Uh, with this sort of storyline, check out The Sound of Metal, uh, which is on Amazon. It's it's an Amazon movie, and it also was nominated for a ton of Oscars, but it's the same sort of thing in that of dealing with somebody who loses their hearing. Uh, Actually, another great one on that too would be, uh, is it Don't Speak?, uh, or lights out I think it might be lights out what whatever <laughs> one of them is about uh, someone who can't hear the other one's about someone who can't see it's one of the two I- I'm sure you guys are gonna be able to figure it out but like I said I can't say enough great things about Kaylee Hoddle I hope we see her again uh, and and you know that was my my hope on this is uh you know the next movie just put her in that movie like that will immediately hook me I think it's gonna hook a lot of other views I've been seeing a lot of positive uh kind of feedback around her. So she just does a fantastic job. So uh so they're on this island and we start seeing or Kong starts realizing that he's on in a containment field. Like he's throwing tree limbs and they're going through the rafters kind of like uh the Truman show. And uh at the same time as this is happening, that's when you know the, the attack with Godzilla is happening. And so the, the leader of Apex, that guy, uh, uh, his name is Walter Simmons. I'm going to remember that name forever now. But uh, Walter, along with Sirizawa, meets with Skarsgård and they're like, hey, we saw your work uh, about the Hollow Earth and we, we want to sort of invest in that. Like we're not going to pay you sort of thing, but like we've got these vehicles Uh, that can get you into the hollow earth and he's like we are trying to access the source of power there and he says you know oh it's just a theory my brother died in there sort of thing and he's like no no no. these vehicles actually compensate for the gravity because the way they explain it in this when you go into the hollow earth when you come out the gravity inverts Uh, which is really cool and he says his brother got crushed because of that so these machines apparently catch that inversion before it happens and then reset themselves super cool but he says you know they're trying to figure out like well how can we even find the source you know the hollow earth is huge and what i think it's him he suggests that uh, well, you know, these titans, they are connected to that source, right? Like it's it, its a source of power for them for millennia. He's like, so if we had a titan, maybe they could lead us there. And so that then leads Skarsgård to go to Skull Island. He's a prior friend of Rebecca Hall's character, uh, Eileen. And so he's trying to explain this, like, hey, we need to, we would love to get Kong to come. And again, it's like, you know, he's working for the bad guys. (laughs) And Rebecca Hall can clearly tell, like she says, I don't think Kong should leave. Like he shouldn't leave because the minute he does, Godzilla is going to find out. And come fight him because Godzilla, at this point, and they show it in the opening credits in such a great way, has defeated all of the monsters on the planet. He is the king. And the only person that he hasn't fought is Kong because he is in this containment field, which again, great storyline. Like that makes so much sense. So they don't want him to leave because they don't want him to get killed by Godzilla. Uh, and I don't think it's necessarily a killed of more even just getting injured so badly that he dies because he's sort of the last of his kind. And he explains to her, like, totally understand that but think of it this way he says like he clearly doesn't want to be here anymore and he explain he says you know you yourself eileen said that the skull island is a sort of the hollow earth made real on the surface which it kind of is, right? Like the skull crawlers are coming up from the hollow earth, all that stuff. And so he's like, what if there are more of his kind or he has an actual home in the hollow earth? Again, at this point he has no idea if this is true or not, but he's giving a very compelling argument to these two people who are just talking. Her her and Jie, or Jia are just talking about uh, you know this isn't his home, or he needs to find a new home. So she eventually is just like, okay, fine, like that makes sense, and it does does make sense. But boy, if they're wrong, like they're gonna pay the price. And uh, so they they the next, it's great. Again, we don't waste any time. She's like, fine. The next scene, Kong is sedated on a boat, and they're traveling to Antarctica, which is where the opening is that they have from Monarch for the Hollow Earth. And uh, so we get our first big fight. And I love, I'm looking at the time here, I am so sorry if you guys are thinking, wow, this is really boring or whatnot, but we're almost hitting an hour, and I haven't even talked about the fights yet, so like I said, I love this movie. Um, So we get our first fight, which, and it technically isn't our first fight, we've already seen Kong do a couple things, and Godzilla do a couple things, but now that Kong is free, Godzilla shows up and fights Kong, and wins, and it's an amazing fight. Like I said, the score is great. There, he like crushes aircraft carriers. He almost drowns King Kong. And 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 even cooler. Like I said, Gia senses Godzilla coming through his heartbeat vibrations and his his uh, intimidation uh, tactics, where he lights up his back. You know, you hear that in in King of the Monsters when he's swimming towards the. Uh, the underground or underwater bunker that everyone's in in the movie and he starts flashing his lights you can hear it going like and so she can hear that because it's underwater sound travels further and uh she obviously has better senses. she like puts her hand up against the wall of the boat and can hear it and so she warns them again she's the one kind of pushing this forward but by the end of it kong does defeat godzilla and so or uh, godzilla defeats kong round one godzilla and the people only survive by turning off all of the uh, the machines on all of their boats to pretend to play dead. So Godzilla leaves. And now they're like, well, we can't move forward. If we turn our boats on, he's just going to turn around and fight. So they put Godzilla in straps on a giant net and like 30 helicopters take him, fly him to uh, to Skull Island, which is great. I thought it was really cool. I think it was a callback to another Godzilla movie or King Kong movie uh, that I haven't seen. I've only seen, I think, it wouldn't have been any of the ones I saw. They mentioned it. It was like a 90s one but so he gets there and they're right at the spot there's this hole in the ground that he's supposed to go in and they uh he's sitting there scars and the, the girl by this time you know the girl has been communicating gia has been communicating with kong really powerful trying to show her home and so she's talking with him and she says like there's your there's home she like points over to the hole and tells him to go and he won't go And it's you know he's in a weird new place. There's snow everywhere, and Skarsgård looks at uh, Rebecca Hall and says, "Tell her to tell him that he has family down there." And she's like, "Are you serious?" And he's and again you're like, "Oh my god, this is gonna blow up in in your face." Kong's gonna get so pissed. But then he whips out the logic. He says, "Most of our boats are destroyed. We can't go back. If Kong doesn't go in there, he's going to die." because it's so cold out here, like, there's no other way out but through, basically, and she's, you know, damn, he's right, and so she tells Gia, and again, another great conversation the two of them have, where she's treating her like an actual person, she says, tell him, and it's so funny, I'm, like, doing the sign, I don't know a lot of sign language, but I'm, like, pretending to do these signs as I talk with her, but she says, tell him that he might have family down, or that There might be others of his kind down there. And so she signs back to her saying, do you mean family? And she says, I don't know. And I loved that line because to me, that is her acknowledging that, yes, we have to do this. We have to get Kong to go in here. But I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I'm not going to lie. I don't know. And I love that. It's totally okay to tell people that you don't know something like there's nothing wrong with that. It's so much better than lying. And so she does. So she tells him, she says, you know, there may be some of your kind down there and that works. And he jumps on the, the opportunity, which is so awesome and also really sad because as an audience, you know, we don't know that yet. We don't know, like he's about to get really betrayed. And so he goes through this tunnel, super cool. He's swinging from these rafters. They're following behind him with their ships and uh and so he ends up sliding down into this portal and oh man guys that scene was so cool Uh, you know they shoot through this portal and then suddenly it felt like you were watching 2001 a space odyssey they're like flying through these it all it felt like when you turn on your netflix and all of the netflix sort of colors fly out at the screen it was it was awesome and then they end up in the hollow earth which again the whole inversion so cool there's like a whole primordial world and then above, when you look up at the sky, it's another primordial world above it that is inverted. It's just just gorgeous. And so we start seeing a bunch of cool creatures. King Kong fights these two sort of uh, flying cobra type snakes. Awesome fight, so cool. And so all the while, with this, uh, there you know, like I said, Brian Tyree Henry and his group are with this mecha Godzilla that gets activated, and so Godzilla hears that. And he immediately changes course. And now we get like the second scene with Kyle Chandler where they're like, sir, Godzilla's changed course. He's heading to Hong Kong. And so now you're like, okay, so that's what it is. All of, all of, uh, all the King's horses and all the King's men are going to, uh, converge in Hong Kong. Awesome. So Godzilla's heading to Hong Kong and it, it's, it's just great. So this, so, uh, Kong's running through this area. There is a beautiful scene where Kong's pushing at some rocks that, Uh, kind of flip their gravity and go into the other area and kong copies that and floats up and then back down above onto the ceiling while he sees all these remnants of his ancient ancestors and i just couldn't stop smiling at that scene because i'm just watching him and to kong to this giant ape this big old monkey he doesn't know anyone's lying to him and so at this point i would imagine that he's pretty happy with his decision that he says i'm so glad that i listened to them and i went through here because i'm about to find my family and i i'm, I'm the way that it is you know it's a barren wasteland i was like i don't think we're going to see any of his family but at least he is in a place now where his family was and that to me is really special i i just like can you imagine if you were the last of your kind And again, you know, you're not smart enough to know some of these things, but he he knew something wasn't right and being, you know, chained and taken away. But if you had that happen to you, and then you showed up in this whole wild new world, and see all of these old, the old architecture, there's a handprint on a door that he puts his hand on almost ceremoniously. And then he goes into this cave and sees like all these old, you know, ape bones, and uh these axes that have the uh the blade of the axe is a godzilla backplate and they all connect and are when that when the power of the source in this room you know kind of lights up they light up into a circular form around this pillar that looks like godzilla and so again i don't know how intelligent he is in terms of understanding some of those things but like the power of that scene of him understanding, and us as an audience understanding that Kong is not the only one of his kind. Godzilla clearly wasn't the only one of his kind. And they have had this rivalry for thousands of years is just fascinating to me. And so that scene, when that happened, that is when I freaked out. Because when I heard Adam Wingard talking about what his plans were for another Godzilla movie and saying that he only wanted it to be about monsters, what better story could that be than showing the ancient wars between the Kongs and the Godzillas? Just the possibilities there are insane. And so, you know, he activates this thing, Kong activates this thing, and um, at the exact same time, the uh the the girl um eliza uh the daughter of walter simmons and we'll, i'm gonna let's find out what her actual name was uh maya oh maya okay cool awesome and uh so uh maya is uh trying to get some samples of the source right like that was the whole reason they were coming there is to get these samples and that is supposedly to give uh more power to mechagodzilla that's the whole point is for it to be this this power source to power mechagodzilla Godzilla. And it's funny when that activates Godzilla senses that as well. So Godzilla just got to Hong Kong and he's about to tear this city up and he senses it and he reels back to breathe his nuclear fire breath. And I was waiting for some insane thing where he just looks like he gets pissed off, but Uh, Godzilla doesn't get pissed guys he gets busy and so he immediately blows this fire down into the earth (laughs) and just blows a hole through the surface of the earth down to the hollow earth and that scene is nuts insane he's basically ripped this hole in the earth and he screams down at Kong essentially saying like what the hell are you doing down there get up here and fight me right now and uh or like don't make me come down there and so they at that point uh you know obviously Godzilla just rendered a hole through the hollow earth so things start collapsing in this area that they're in and so they end up escaping but there's a great bit in here too where the uh the bad people, uh, Maya and her little crew escape on one of the ships. Kong catches the ship right before it goes in this hole. Cause they're all trying to get in this hole now. Cause it's going to take them right to Hong Kong. So it's like, Oh, you know, the plot is on the other side of this hole. We got to go down there. And, uh, Kong grabs it, pulls the ship up to his eye and he looks inside And then he crushes the ship. I loved this scene. It played so good both times because he's looking in there to see if Gia is in there. And when she's not, all right, we're just going to crush these people. I loved that. And so Kong jumps down. He's got an axe, which is just, oh my God, the axe is so cool. So he gets down there with his axe. They follow him. And now it's just the three main characters, uh, Rebecca Hall, Gia, and Skarsgård. Again, Nathan, Eileen, and Gia. And so they get up to this other side, and uh, and it takes them a little bit longer, I think, than it takes Kong. But Kong shows up, and now we get the big fight. And so we, we get, I would say, is probably my favorite fight so far in the MonsterVerse, I think, because it's it's just insane, they destroy Hong Kong, and they make no secret about it, like, buildings are collapsing, they're getting ripped in half, people are getting just massacred by these, just by their stomps, and by this destruction, and no one cares, in in terms of the audience, right, like, this is not a Batman v Superman, uh, uh, Man of Steel type situation where we're wondering, oh, there better be consequences to all this property damage. No, guys, come on, this is two forces of nature fighting each other, and so we get some. Just, I'm not even going to go into details on the fight because I, 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 I wouldn't spoil that for you. Like you have to see that sort of thing, but it is insane. We get an awesome bit where he smacks Godzilla in the face with this axe, and they're just kicking each other and pushing around, and then, you know, by the end of it, guess what? uh kong beats the crap out of godzilla and so you know we get it we get a little shot and it's so funny because the first time we watched it I, I was like "Ooh, round one is godzilla and then when this bit happens scars it cuts to him and he says it looks like round two went to kong and i was like dude man are you keeping score two i thought i was doing it i thought i was doing it for you guys but then godzilla gets back up and he like i said he's pissed But Godzilla doesn't get pissed. He gets busy. So he's on all fours coming after Kong. And this was incredible. I mean, I don't know how much money the CGI cost, but it was worth every penny. And he's beating the crap out of Kong. He dislocates Kong's shoulder. He starts scratching Kong's chest. Kong's down on the ground. He's about to crush Kong's chest. Like he's got a foot on Kong's stomach. And he looks at Kong and gives him this look and Kong then nods at him and, and and I I don't know a lot I don't know how to speak animal but I I am a firm believer just of how long I've spent communicating trying to communicate with my cats and with other animals when I see them at the zoo to me this was Kong begrudgingly submitting to to Godzilla and so I was per, you know personally I was happy being king uh, uh, team Godzilla but at the same time I just loved this that he was like He like nods at him like you know, fine, like fine, I yield. And so Godzilla screams at him. Just let's let's go at him. And Kong gives him this look of like, I'm just like, and then Kong screams back at him. And so that I just loved that. Of like Kong saying, fine, I acknowledge that you are the king but I am also the king, and don't you ever forget it, and it's like, oh man, like he, even in his defeat, and his acknowledgement of the defeat, he's not going to lie down, he, like he's not going to let this live this down, and so Godzilla lets off, and then uh, starts walking away, but it is at that moment that Mecha Godzilla finally escapes the, the lab, which happens to be, you know, two hops and a jump from where Godzilla is, because again, they're giant creatures, so Kong's down, Godzilla is now fighting Mechagodzilla, and that scene is also insane, like that, and Mechagodzilla is beating the absolute, you know, the crap out of him, and Kong's there, and they're, the the people are like, we gotta get Kong up, and he's, Gia says his breathing is slowing, because she can sense his heartbeat, and they use the craft that they came in on to kickstart Kong's heart, which sounds silly, but they do reference that towards the beginning of the movie, that it has the power to light up Las Vegas multiple times or something. So uh, Kong gets an adrenaline shot. He wakes up. He is ready to go. He smashes his shoulder into an entire building to pop it back into place. And then he shows up and saves Godzilla. And so the two of them fight. And right when Mecha Godzilla is about to defeat Kong, the... Uh, the B group of Brian, uh, Tyree Henry, Millie Bobby Brown, and uh, uh, Julian is, uh, excuse me, ends up, you know, pouring some whiskey, and I'm not even going to get into that story, but basically pour some whiskey on the control panel, and it short circuits Mechagodzilla with enough time for them to get a couple good licks in, and then we get my favorite scene, which, and and I, I didn't mind this at all, that I kept guessing the movie because it was what I wanted. Like they're fighting each other. And I said, Godzilla needs to power up Kong's, uh, Kong's, his axe so that it can cut off Mechagodzilla's head. And just like with a great, another great Marvel movie. And funny enough that, you know, Thor Ragnarok was written by the, one of the writers here too. Obviously it's not in Thor, but I was like, this is Kong's chance to go for the head and to just cut off Mechagodzilla's head. And sure enough, Godzilla powers up the axe, but we get an even better story. He cuts off both of his arms. He cuts off his legs. He cuts his tail in half. And then he smacks that, uh, axe into its chest and then rips his head off, and just yells, and oh man, that scene, so, and then in that sense, Kong won, so, uh, at that point, Godzilla gives him a a begrudging nod of, like, thank you, and, uh, fine, we'll, we'll leave on our own terms, and just like all classic Godzilla movies, it just ends, (laughs) Godzilla walks away, goes into the ocean, Kong, we get a final scene with Kong, where he is in a new, and it doesn't say containment facility. It just says a monarch monitoring outpost, where uh, in the Hollow Earth. And so now Gia and Rebecca Hall, and I think even Skarsgård, are in the Hollow Earth with Kong, who is getting to live out his best life there. And that's the end of the movie. And so I, I loved that. I loved that it was kind of a quick ending. But like I said, I it left so much room for things. There, there's nothing in it. Like if this movie ended and we don't get another Godzilla movie, that's that's that. But there are so many little threads here that they could easily pick up on for a really cool, how is King Kong living in the Hollow Earth? What's Godzilla up to? So now it seems like by the end of this, we have settled the Kong-Godzilla fight, which is Godzilla could easily beat Kong hand-to-hand without any help. Godzilla is the king. But Kong is a really great ally and easily is Godzilla's number two. No question about that. So what do we do in regards to that? Godzilla is now the king of the surface world, and Kong appears to be the king of the hollow earth. And I think that is a perfect ending for both of these giant monsters, something that can make them both happy. So uh, that is, a, like I said, a really long way of saying that I love this movie. And so I, I gave this one a 9 out of 10. I'm putting this movie right below Kong Skull Island. And the only way that any Godzilla movie or... And I feel so bad about it, too, because the Kong movie doesn't even have Godzilla in it until the, the credit scenes. But um, it's part of the Godzilla universe, so you have to include it. And the storyline of the humans in that movie is the most interesting of all of them. And so until a Godzilla movie comes out that is both amazing in its fights and amazing in its storyline... It's not going to beat Kong Skull Island, but this movie is come so close. So, you know, I again I always say it like this, but I would say Kong Skull Island is a 9.1 and Godzilla uh, versus Kong is a nine. Like it's so tiny because I I love Gia's storyline better than all like her story is is my favorite of all of these Godzilla movies. It's now it's my new favorite. But those other storylines detract from the movie in my eyes. I mean, and I loved Rebecca Hall too, and in Scarsgard, but like everything with uh, with Apex, it was all necessary. But it was just, you know, uh, we just want to see them fight, right? Like we just want to see them fight. So with that said, um, I highly recommend this movie, and and if you can, if you are vaccinated or uh, you know willing to get out there. I would highly recommend checking this movie out in theaters because there are so many scenes that would look so good on the big screen, specifically on IMAX or Dolby. So that's that's my review. That's how much I loved this. I hope we get more. I'm always hoping we get more Godzilla, but for what we have and what we have gotten, I'm very content and I am already wanting to watch this movie again. So Uh, What a a great treat and fact that we could just watch it straight on HBO. Didn't even have to pay a dime besides the entry price for HBO. So with that said, for Comics and Cinema, we're going to wrap this up. I'm your host, Alex Klein. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you in the hollow earth.